Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is February 17th. I am David Gasper, joined by co-host Matt Carroll, and we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. A lot has been happening recently with Brewers Transaction, with the Brewers Transaction-wise, so there's a lot to talk about, especially since today is the day that pitchers and catchers reported. It's finally here. The offseason is finally technically over. So spring training has begun, and who better to talk about the beginning of camp with than this week's podcast guest, Jim Goulart, commonly known on Twitter as Mas Haas, uh, BrewerFan.net. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. David, thank you. Matt, thank you as well. Um, I've enjoyed listening to you guys throughout the offseason, and you've done a great job with guests. I'll try to live up to whatever billing (laughs) that you provide. (laughs) But uh, yeah, let's have some fun because it is... Uh, a fun day in terms of uh, I saw some of those images today coming from out of Arizona and then you've got the transaction wire buzzing a little bit so yeah it's a good time to talk uh, talk the crew yeah and you know you, you do kind of have to follow up Aaron Ashby so that that is a little bit of a tough situation Aaron Ashby <laughs> Josh Lindblom um, it's uh, you guys have lined yeah. it up pretty well so uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll squeeze in yeah it, it, there's plenty of stuff to stuff to talk about and yeah like saying the transaction wire buzzing just before um we started recording today fernando tatis jr signed a 14 year 340 million dollar contract extension with the san diego padres which i mean great for the padres great for tatis obviously uh, great for baseball but man the Chicago White Sox traded that dude for James Shields. Like, how stupid do you think they're feeling right now? Big game, James. Come on. Yeah. You know, it makes you think what would be the equivalent um, on the Brewer side right now because they don't have that top 100, well, top 50, let's say, prospect right now, certainly. But you'd have to dig so deep because – Tatis was not, it wasn't like the baseball world went, oh my God, when he was traded, what Mm -hmm. are the White Sox thinking, right? It was like, okay, the name value from his dad, and he he was either 18 or still just 19 years old at the time, maybe just 18, I think. Yeah, I think just 18. So kudos to the Padres uh, who, you know, saw something there, obviously, um, more than most folks did. And uh, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't be upset if I was a White Sox fan based on their roster these days. So uh, yeah, there'd be one more piece that would look really, really good, but uh, the White Sox have done a great job, Rick Hahn and that group as well. So, uh, but yeah, big news from Tatis and uh, one of your guests, prior guests breaking the news as well. Yeah. Friend of the Mm -hmm. podcast, Robert Murray. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking the news. He scooped uh, Dennis Lenny, scooped Ken Rosenthal, all of them got the news. I messaged him. I'm surprised he actually got back to me this quickly. Um, but he said he's got over a thousand unread text messages <laughs> that, that that just came in from when he broke the news. A thousand. I don't even have a thousand contacts in my phone. No. Like, nope. You guys keep rolling out these podcasts. I don't even know if I have a hundred contacts in my yeah. phone. If you keep rolling out these podcasts, I mean, you just keep having another friend <laughs> of the podcast week after week. Friend of the podcast. Friend oh, of yeah. The podcast. Now we've got you, friend of the podcast. So Yeah. Yeah, it's there's only 52, only 52 weeks in the season, though. So it's going to take several years of the podcast to build up to Robert Murray. What's what's crazy about this is I don't know when 
I didn't look at when the uh, extension kicks in. Um, but 14 years from now, Tatis is only 36, only 36, and which is not young for a baseball player, but it's not ancient. Like they're getting him for a lot of prime years. Like it's incredible, you know, what this guy is now going to put up as a lifer for San Diego. It, it starts right away. Like he's a pre-arbitration guy. That's what Um, I thought, but like, I don't think it's going to kick up to 24 million right away. It's probably going to like, you know, slowly get up there and and probably Mm -hmm. during like his like late twenties, it's going to be around, you know, like 30 million or so a year. So I think on average, it's about like 24, um, 340 divided by 14. I think it was like a little over 24 million a year. So I think he's going to like work his way up there, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, It's good for him, you know, good, good for all of them. Hopefully the Padres can take down the Dodgers in the NL West at some point soon because they're due for a butt kicking out there. So it'll be great. Um, so back to the Brewers now. Um, Jim, you've been running uh, BrewerFan.net for uh, quite a while now. Could you just kind of tell us about you know what you know kind of led you to to start it and really kind of be running it and like, all the things that you do there at BrewerFan? Sure. Um... 21 years going strong, I guess, at this point. So basically at the turn of the century, and yes, I'm generation above you guys. So let me talk about the turn <laughs> of the century here. But uh, the Brewer fan, the Brewer websites for um, forum discussion was a wasteland. You had ESPN, uh, not much else, uh, trolls galore, nothing was modified you know, moderated, um, just wasn't a pretty picture. And then there was a gentleman by the name of Brian Kapolish, along with a couple of other folks who kind of, he set up a website, which back in the day looked pretty modernistic, right? (laughs) Um, And all of a sudden we had a place where we could talk brewers and not worry about, you know, we weren't restrictive and who could participate and whatnot, but you had to be a brewer fan you know, and mm-hmm. you had to be, have a legitimate interest. And what really drew me to the, to the site at the time was there was legitimate talk about uh, the Brewers farm system, which wasn't real rosy at the time. Um, no. We weren't quite at the, you know, we weren't doing all the Jack Zeridzik, uh, you know, Hardy Hart Fielder weeks. We weren't in those years yet, but still when you were talking about the late nineties and early 2000 brewers, you know, you definitely wanted to learn more about the farm system because that's where the hope was. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a young man named uh, Toby Harmon who put together something called the Power 50. And for those uh, who might remember, um, the Power 50 was just the top 50 prospects and he would provide updates like every two weeks on what they've been up to. Oh. And it was a just a fun read. It was a fun thing to follow. I saw an opportunity there that unlike today where we're still trying to do a daily recap of all the minor league activity uh, we just needed a place to go one place one thread here's what happened in the minor leagues on a particular night and thus something called the link report was born link report just brought together um, at the time mostly just box scores and some very base news and over the years um, I just got pretty persistent I won't say obsessed, but pretty close (laughs) to pulling in just any kind of tidbit we could from the minor leagues. And um, 
MILB got their act together eventually, put everything under one umbrella, because at one point these minor league sites were just random pockets of, of nothingness. And then all of a sudden you had the local TV and radio stations might throw out some online interviews and things like that as video came about and became more impressive. Um, so the link report evolved over the years to the point where um, I, I just appreciate the reach outs that I've had from, from Adam McAlvey and others in the Brewer um, mainstream coverage beats, so to speak, over the years. Um, it was a lot of fun when Jim Powell, um, Bob Uecker's, uh, you know, one of Bob Uecker's underlings that have gone on to much bigger and, you know, even greater things elsewhere in his hometown of Atlanta. But he would provide those shout outs in those early days um, to us, which was kind of a nice reinforcement as well. Long story short, or I should say long story long, I guess, at this point, <laughs> um, it's been a labor of love. Um, I've been blessed in that uh, my my wife um, realizes that for me, it's um, it's a passion um, and it's inexpensive. <laughs> so if you're gonna have a, <laughs> That's the important part. <laughs> if you're going to have a hobby that takes up some of your time and, and keeps you up nights and, and why are you listening to double a baseball at, you know, extra innings at, you know, 1130 Eastern time. Um, well, that's one of the things that just uh, allows me to enjoy that. So um, I won't, I won't share the story about my, how I get tied to the brewers as a, as a Massachusetts guy, you can't pick up the accent, right? Yeah. Oh, um, no, no, not at all. I picked it up when you're talking but, about the um, ballpark earlier. But it's been, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's really truly been now since the, the mm, 77, 78 for me um, as a young teenager at the time. So coming up on 40 years plus of just being a diehard and I'm just getting a kick out of it now because there's just more and more available. And I just try to call it all together. I just kind of say to myself, well, if I'm going out and finding these things and finding enjoyment and learning about them, um, whether it's an article link, an interview link, then I might as well share it. And I've gotten pretty quick on the trigger in terms of being able to post it, link it, tweet it. Um, it's not really that labor intensive at this point. So it's, it's fun. And every once in a while you get something that you know that both the mainstream Brewer fans or the really diehards and the more casuals you can say to yourself, boy, they wouldn't have seen this if I hadn't stumbled upon it and posted it. So when people get enjoyment out of that, I feel good about it. And that's how that's gone about for all these years. Yeah. I mean, great resource for Brewers fans for all assorted kind of media. I know for myself, um, when I first started being a contributor for reviewing the brew and I was really kind of starting to get into minor leagues um, I would check in on your site and find out about, you know, players that I hadn't um, quite heard of yet kind of down at the lower level. So it really even helped, you know, someone like myself um, get kind of more immersed. So I really appreciate that there is even a, that there's really a minor league focus in parts of the site. It just, it's for Brewers fans who want to help, you know, read immerse themselves in as much Brewers, uh, media as possible that that's the website to go man for sure and i'm i would hope that i speak for a lot of brewers fans um to that are very thankful that you put all uh the time into putting all this together oh, i appreciate you saying that like i said um for me it's a little bit of a challenge i've gotten 
Google, they, as they say, Google is your friend, right? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. between very specific Google alerts and, and things like that, um, I'm able to find some of these things. But it's, it's, it becomes a little bit of a game after a while. But I, I truly do think that um, particularly the, the interviews that are, um, whether it's recorded by audio or video form, I just think that you learn something about players, coaches, whatever, beyond the printed form. It's, it's one thing to read the quotes, but when you hear the stories, and now with podcast proliferation now, I mean, you find sometimes that there's just, um, you know, an unheralded minor leaguer that put together something online um, in terms of an interview. And it can be fascinating. I love draft day stories. Oh, I love getting mm-hmm. called up to mm-hmm. the big league stories. Um, I don't know. Just recently, uh, Justin Topa did like an hour long podcast that I linked to a couple of times. Um, Noah Zavolis is a young pitcher that came over with um, Ben Gamble at the time of the Domingo Santana mm-hmm. trade. Mm-hmm. And that was just a couple of days ago. And I found myself just fascinated by some of the stories that he was telling. Again, draft day, the tr- how a trade works. He was talking about the day that he found out that the Brewers acquired him from Seattle and how that all went down and where do I go? What do I do? Um, even though, well, that was, that one happened to be in the late fall. So he didn't have to make an immediate uh, road trip anywhere, but I love that kind of stuff. And um, that's where I'm getting my most joy these days is, um, and I'll say, Jim, where do you find time to listen to all this? Well, I do have a, a close to about a 40 minute commute and I'll just pop in, yeah. you know, that's, you know, I, I'm not walking around the house doing the dishes, listening to the Brewer podcast. It's almost exclusively in the car, but um, it works for my entertainment value. And um, it just adds to, I I just think it adds to overall enjoyment of the product. So um, that's a little bit more on on the background and excited for 2020. I'm not sure if we all were um, earlier in the winter or late fall. But um, all of a sudden, with the projections coming out and the realization mm-hmm. that the division isn't going to be particularly strong, let's let's do this again. Let's go for the postseason again and see what happens with Burns and Woodruff tossing games one and two. Yeah, that's four in a row. Yeah, that, that's certainly what, what we're looking forward to. We tried to get some more minor league stories for you out of Aaron Ashby last week, but he couldn't come up with anything off the top of his head. So. Yeah, so we came so close on that one, but it, it's all right. Well, well, we probably should have pre- prepared him a little bit more for that, but oh well, it happens. Um, but Ashby, as uh, along with all the other pitchers and catchers, re- officially reported to Brewers camp today, and Brewers put out a, a video on Twitter of them playing catch here in the mid pop. It was just uh, it's so heartwarming. Um, <laughs> so camp has begun. Uh, the pitchers and catchers are there. Um, so a lot of guys in camp, a lot of non-roster invitees, a lot of new faces on the 40-man. Uh, Jim, who are you most excited to see in spring training this year? Well, I'd like to see a healthy and ready-to-go Luis Arias. Um, I, I really was intrigued by David Stern's comment in his Q&A this week. I forget if it was with, with Adam or Tom, but um, where he specifically said, and he used the word need, we need to see Urias at shortstop. Mm-hmm. 
not on the left side of the diamond, not at third base. We need to see him at shortstop. And look, they made that trade last year for a reason. Um, we all know that despite the 60-game semi-bounce back from Orlando Arcia last year, that um, heading into 2020, um, it was pretty frightful what was happening with his batting line. And Urias was the target. They brought him in, and all of a sudden, you've got his association with a, a COVID uh, person that he had to, to step back from because of that. And then you had, the, uh, of course, the, the hammock bone, the wrist injury yep. in winter ball prior to that. Never got off to the start. We know that. I just think that when Colton Wong made the comments this week, about wanting to turn Arcia into a gold glove winner mm -hmm. and all that. I'm just picturing David Stearns and, uh, you know, just kind of rolling his eyes a little bit going, no, 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 let's not go there because <laughs> in, that back of, in the back of his mind, I'm saying he really wants to phase out Arcia. And I, I know that Orlando is the, you know, the, steal the ice cream from the guy in the front row of the stands guy. He's the guy at the end of the, the gauntlet after every home run and, you know, throwing the, the little cashews and, and sunflower seeds. He's a fan favorite to most in the casual realm. I think a lot of other folks say, boy, what, a, what an opportunity for an upgrade there. And if Urias can show that he can, shine defensively and produce offensively this spring. I just think that there's another opportunity in MLB um, where somebody goes down with an injury or something like that. I don't think Stearns would hesitate in a, for a moment to take Arcia and his arbitration salary and, uh, and move on. Um, the only thing that I need to consider there is, okay, if Urias is going to be at short for 40, 140 games, who takes the other piece? And I think you've got, Daniel Robertson is the logical choice to step in there. Um, so when Robertson is not maybe the right-handed platoon with, we'll talk about later, Travis Shaw, um, then yeah, he's the backup shortstop as well. I, I just, I'm not sure how you guys feel about it, but I just think that um, the Brewer Brain Trust was ready to move on from RCA last year. I was a little surprised he was tendered a, a contract this past um, November. But I think that was purely just a matter of, of depth and what they saw on the chart. If there had been even a glimmer of more depth, um, I don't think Arcia would have been tendered. Yeah, and I think when it comes to Arcia, like, I, I think they really want to see the battle. So it was supposed to be a battle last year between Urias and Arcia for the starting shortstop job. And then, like you mentioned, the hamate bone, he missed spring training. And then when it was time for the battle again in summer camp, he missed with COVID. So Arcia was really just kind of given that job last year. And although his offensive performance was better, like you alluded to, I don't think it was enough to lock down the job heading into 2021. So I think it's going to be another battle again. And not having split squads is going to make it a little bit more difficult for that battle. But I mean, defensively, both of those guys can handle the position, but offensively is really kind of what you want to see. Because offensively, Urias had a really strong start, and then he kind of had a little slump towards the end of the season that, that brought down his overall numbers. But, you know, he's got 
a better pedigree with the bats in, in the minor leagues and, and wherever like Jurius is more of a sure thing with the bat. Whereas Arcia, he really isn't. So I, I think it's certainly somewhere, you know, yes, like they do need to see Urias there. They, they want to see him there and they need to see if um, he'll be able to hit enough and, and can take that job. And I think they want him to, because I mean, they, they made the trade for him. They believe in him. They believe in Urias's hitting ability. They believe in his glove. Otherwise they wouldn't have traded Davies and Grisham to go get him because they loved Grisham too. Um, and they certainly could have used Grisham in 2020 after Kane opted out. But yeah, it, it's certainly um, somewhere. I, I feel like they want to see the battle and the loser of the battle, um, which very well could be Arcia. They may end up having to be uh, trade bait because what, what else do you do with them? Because Arcia is not going to be an everyday third baseman. Uh, he's not going to be at second base. No, they, uh, like, never, are they really going to want to keep him as a bench bat? Like, I, I don't think so. They've never tried, whether it was because of necessity or just lack of, um, any positional flexibility with Arcia, and in in the least. So if he doesn't, if if Urias beats him out for the starting shortstop job, then it's going to be tough to justify. Um, carrying Arcia for when maybe even a non-roster guy like, uh, you know, Jace Peterson or something with a left-handed stick could prove more valuable. So again, that's why I mentioned Urias off the top. That'll be interesting to me. And it'll also be interesting, like you said, um, with, with the lack of split squads and all that, let's just, how are they going to parse that time in the middle? But Stern's comment really opened my eyes this week. He's really looked, I think he knew too that Shaw was right on the horizon so he had to talk about Arias in terms of shortstop. Yeah, I think for players you're excited to see, there's some of the big leaguers. Um, what's Wong going to look like for the first time in a Brewers uniform? Um, Kane, I don't know how much he'll actually play in spring training, but we're excited to see him back roaming in center field. I think uh, you've got the storyline of Travis Shaw. You know, is he going to be able to win out that position? It's no guarantee. Um, right now for him. But for me, the player I am most excited to see is a guy who is probably not even, I mean, let's be honest. He's not going to see the major league uh, action this season is Garrett Mitchell. We have not Mm -hmm. gotten to see his professional debut yet in a Brewers organizational uniform. And we should finally get to see some of that in spring training. Um, we, it just an absolute steal, as we pointed out many times, the Brewers getting him down where they got him. Um, but he didn't end up at the alternate playing, uh, alternate training site. Um, he was held out of pretty much all of instructionals with that, uh, quad injury. And so we still want to see, you know, just exactly what we're supposed to be so excited for. So I know it'll be, you know, those last few innings kind of at the end of games, probably that we'll get to see him or in some of the super early ones where you don't have as much of the uh, big league guys playing, but um, I'm ready to see that speed. I'm ready to see if he can crank out some of that power in a game. Um, I'm, I am, I'm excited for some Garrett Mitchell here. What's interesting is that you locals there in, in Wisconsin will get to see him most likely in Appleton because of their mm-hmm. jump to high A this year. Mm-hmm. Because high A would be a logical starting spot for at least the first couple of months of the minor league season. I don't think Mitchell's going to start out at uh, Biloxi and double A. So all of a sudden now with Wisconsin being the high A affiliate, 
um, he's going to be available for the locals to go check out and could make a nice impression there to start things off. So, yeah, absolutely. He's got to be chomping at the bit right now to get started. Well, so many of these guys are. I mean, you read the stories and hear oh, about yeah. just what a lost campaign, especially for those maybe who weren't at the alternate site. Um, it just it just just ready, ready, ready. And, and Mitchell is going to be um, a fun one to to follow for sure. But, yeah, I think he's going to be there for the for the locals, too. And you wonder just how much we're going to see out of these spring training ball games. Um in terms of television viewing, hopefully they put together a nice package for everybody again, where a good portion of the games are available and we don't have to wait till April 1st just to see a lot of these innings. So yeah, looking forward to that. You're right. That's a good call, Matt. Yeah. Road trip, David, to Appleton this summer. Oh, I'm down. I'm down Sweet. to go to Appleton. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, if we want to take another road trip to Nashville too, I'd also love to go there. Perfect. <laughs> so, let's do it. Um, yeah. And, uh, like you mentioned there with the um, showing the broad, broadcasting the games, the Brewers did announce that they did sign a new TV deal with Fox Sports Wisconsin to broadcast games in time for them to have a, a spring training broadcast. So we're going to be able to see that if you have uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin on your provider. So I, I think it's Spectrum, I think AT&T, and then DirecTV, I, I want to say. I, I think those are like think. the only ones that, that currently carry it. Um, but like everyone else, like Dish doesn't have it. Um, YouTube TV, Hulu doesn't have it. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter just being like, can I get it on YouTube TV now? Can I get it on Hulu? Can I like where, like, I, I like they don't want to go back to cable. So, I mean, this is kind of like going away from the baseball and just kind of like behind the scenes stuff here. But, you know, it, it's something that they're also going to need to do to bring baseball to as many people as possible. And like, I have Spectrum, so I'm not particularly concerned myself. Uh, but um, for everyone else, yeah, it, it's it's really something that that needs to be worked out. And um, either way, there's going to be baseball coming, and hopefully, we're all going to be able to find ways to watch it. Um, one well, guy. What, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, David, you didn't list your specific play, player that you're most interested in uh, seeing. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's true. Well, Matt, Matt kind of took mine because I was thinking Garrett ah. Mitchell as well. But um, another guy that I'm really kind of excited to see is Jordan Zimmerman because Ooh. he's someone that has struggled for the past several years for pretty much the entirety of his five-year contract with the Tigers. Really rough investment for them. But he's back in Wisconsin now. Well, he's down in Arizona, but he's with the team he grew up rooting for, um, growing up in Auburndale, Wisconsin. And he's got talent, you know, un undoubtedly. He's, he's been a good pitcher in the past. Is he ever going to reach his 2014 peak again? Probably not. Um, but, you know, he's someone that you get him in the pitching lab, you figure out what's been going wrong, or you figure out, you know, some way to, to fix some things. And, you know, maybe they can get him and, and he could be a solid swing man, number five starter, bullpen guy, something. He, he could be uh, an, an, I don't want to say impactful player, but he, he could play a factor. And, you know, it, it's a low risk kind of thing. And, you know, perhaps putting on that Brewers uniform is just going to help him find a different gear that he hasn't had before. 20 pitchers on the 40 man roster. 
That's a lot. Yeah, we also and, got 20 catchers. Yeah, exactly. Between, <laughs> between pitchers and catchers, uh, you know, you've got uh, 25 spots spoken for, which is hard to imagine um, when you consider and you have to fill out infield and outfield as well. So I, I just think it's some, um, you, you know, we, Ray Black is the only one who's out of options in terms of all the fringe pitchers. Um, otherwise, I had to confirm, it does look like that the amount of time that players have to go down once they're optioned, once again, is um, I'm sorry, when they go on the disabled list is 15 days. So there's no more phantom disabled list. They did that, got rid of that a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, but you just see, you can just see how much bouncing they're going to do to, to make sure all the innings get covered this year. So they've got all these optionable guys Um with the arms who are unfortunately a lot of them are going to be on that Nashville to Milwaukee shuttle just by, by means of necessity. And um, it, it basically it, it's a good situation to be in because you've got that flexibility. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, it was the 2014 uh, Brewers team that doomed Doug Melvin because he had absolutely no flexibility in the bullpen at all. And the bullpen yes. faltered big time. It was 2012, excuse me. It was the year after the big 2011 um, campaign. And yeah, they just had no flexibility. And uh, it was just a tough year because they couldn't, Melvin's hands were tied with a lot of veterans. Now you've got all these guys that were optionable, um, flexible to, you know, multi-inning, fireballers. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how that plays out over the course of the year. But I think there's going to, you're just going to get used to a lot of transactions uh, throughout the whole course of the year. Yeah, and that was the thing in, in 2014 as well as 2012, because that was the year that they had Wei Chung Wong there in the bullpen. And they wanted to keep him as that rule five guy. So they were a man short in the bullpen and they lacked the guys to, to option down. So they were stuck with, six guys or, or something in that bullpen the entire first four months of the season and they just all burned out and just everything fell apart and yeah that was that was bad and since and then, then it looks like the front office has learned their lesson yeah we don't yeah, like so to talk about the end of 2014 anymore do we yeah <laughs> no no we, we've made our Wei Chung Wong reference for the night <laughs> yeah um but yeah, one place they really kind of don't have a lot of um, options, though, is their bench on the position player side. They've gotten a lot of guys. Uh, Robertson doesn't have any options. Uh, Vogelbach doesn't have any options. Um, Billy McKinney doesn't have any options. Derek Fisher, uh, the guy they just traded for, he doesn't have any options. Um, so, I mean, you, you look at the bench and you look at the position player group, I think there are only three guys – that currently have options on the position player side that are projected to be uh, on the big league roster. And that's Keston Hira, who is unlikely to get optioned. Uh, that's Orlando Arcia, who has an option remaining, and Omar Narvaez. And both Narvaez and Arcia will hit five years of service time at some point this season, which means they will lose those option years. So the Brewers don't have quite as much flexibility when it comes to the position player group um, in terms of sending guys up and down. They, they can they can send some guys down at the beginning, like Tim Lopes and Luke Maley and, and whoever. Um, but you know, sending 
but sending other guys down in their place, uh, that that's really not going to be easy to do. Yeah. I mean, Billy McKinney and Derek Fisher are basically the same guy. I mean, they're left-handed, primarily corner guys um, who can play a bit of center field, but they're both left-handed bats and they're both out of options. So, I mean, we need to prepare for the fact that the 40 man roster is going to look different than on April 1st than it does now for sure. Um, And that's just one of the examples where, uh, it will look very different. Then you've got the Jacob Nottingham situation out of options. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now you talk about – now I, I think I read as well, too, that they, they're still going to have a road trips this year because of the COVID situation, like a three-person taxi squad, I believe, where yeah. at least one of the players has to be a catcher. Mm-hmm. But I think for Nottingham to be part of that, you'd still have to be – like not on the 26 man roster. Yeah. He, he'd have to be sent down. He'd have that. to be sent down, which you can't, can't send him down. Yeah. So who would be the third catcher in, in that situation? you got Luke male, uh, Maley, excuse me. And, you know, so we may be seeing Maley more often on those road trips because we don't know what's going to happen with Nottingham. Um, yeah. Both Narvaez and, and Manny Pena stay healthy this year. Yeah, you mentioned how you think Orlando RC is probably going to be trade bait. I think Jacob Nottingham is for sure trade bait. No one's going to do it now because they want to see how he comes back from thumb surgery from, from this offseason. But I think when he gets down closer to opening day, you're going to have to start looking at the other teams that could use a catcher that, that need a backup or, or need some help uh, catching-wise. And I, I think Nottingham has to be traded there because if you can't find a trade partner for him, you're not going to carry three catchers on the big league roster and Nottingham. He can't be sent down without being designated for assignment. So really a trade is going to end up being the most likely outcome. I think for Nottingham this year, I think it's really just a matter of time. A few guys are transaction watchers per se, like throughout the league, but all you're seeing now is these veteran players signing minor league deals where they'll make the number seems to be for a lot of them, you know, it's 1.75 million. If he makes the majors, he'll make 1.75 million. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's going to be a bunch of guys losing 40 man roster spots across MLB um, come mid March when a lot of these decisions have to be made because guys Mm -hmm. will have the ability to opt out and then closer to opening day as well. So if some of those guys intrigue the Brewers brain trust, you're going to see even more activity on that uh, that waiver wire, um, setting up the final roster. So um, it will be uh, for those of us who like even the most menial of transactions, because you never know. You never know when the most minute transaction turns into something big. Um, then you've got something to really prepare for as things come down the stretch um, of spring training, because there's going to be a ton of movement, a lot of players will have to be added to 40 man rosters across baseball. Yeah. So that'd be interesting too. Yeah. Um, but even just, just in our little discussion, even the last 10 minutes, we've talked about just, there are a lot of decisions that will need to be made um, that will be worth watching. And every decision, even on the fringes of the roster, that's that one or two victories can be impacted over a course of 162 games that maybe means like in 2017, you're not following one game behind the Rockies at the end of the season. 
you know, right. mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, those transactions like, you know, Jesus Aguilar and Junior Guerra's waiver claims, you know, just kind of the small little things like that that no one really thinks of, thinks much of at the time turns into something uh, really good. And, and one of these non-roster invites uh, that we're talking about, uh, Travis Shaw signed a minor league deal with a non-roster invite. So the Brewers have found somebody for third base. Uh, it's a familiar face. The mayor of Ding Dong City has been elected <laughs> to a second term. So he comes back. He's he's essentially plan B for the Brewers. Uh, $1.5 million if he's in the majors. $1.5 million in possible incentives. You know, he's a 30-homer-a-season type guy through 2017, 2018 had the bad slump in 2019 to start off. Then it really kind of got in his head. He started pressing and it was really just kind of a lost season for Sean 2019. Then in 2020, uh, he really kind of came back to, you know, at least a little bit better production. His numbers started going in the positive direction and we probably could have seen better numbers out of him if it was 162 game season, but Shaw is back and you know, he's a non-roster invite, but he's someone that really, I, I think, stands a pretty good chance of making the roster, considering the other current options are Luis Urias and Daniel Robertson. And, you know, they want to see Urias at short. So then the other option is Daniel Robertson. And I, I think Shaw is likely to win that job, Matt. I would have to think so. I mean, uh, like you had mentioned um, in the article I think you put out today, um, the ceiling is definitely the highest with Shaw. And Mm -hmm. that's not just based off of what we saw in 2017 and 2018, um, but he's got that pedigree. He's very good defensively. So, you know, he adds to that solid defense that we now um, are really starting to build up on the infield. So that helps as well. Um, He, he definitely uh, bounced back somewhat from 2019. It's not like he lit the world on fire, (laughs) Last year, that said, in about 60% of as many games as he played for the Brewers in 2019, he fell just a home run shy of his total in 2019, six homers to seven, and actually uh, beat out his RBI total in 2019 with 17 as compared to 16. Um, Popped that OPS back up to 717, had an OPS plus a 95, which was much closer to uh, league average. It was 45 in 2019, which is, uh, that's lower than Orlando Arcia numbers right there. Uh, so I, I think we all as Brewers fans, like we always wanted Shaw to do well. I know a lot of what we remember was that, uh, the struggles in 2019. Um, but when Travis Shaw was doing well, the Brewers were just a more fun team to watch having that left-handed bat in Miller park, uh, sitting right down there in the, I have to imagine right around the sixth hole in the lineup. Um, if he's even close to his old self, that is a big get for the Brewers. I mean, he, I have to imagine just like you, I, I don't see him. He has to be the front runner for that spot. I would say um, hopefully he does win it out. Um, but the way it's structured, you know, if he doesn't, um, the Brewers can obviously move on, but I think we're all pulling for him to uh, pull a, repeat here in his reunion with the Brewers. I think we're pulling for it just because 2019 was just so baffling and so painful. Mm-hmm. And Shaw is a very serious, um, you know, fairly private, quiet guy to begin with. Yeah. 
So Mm -hmm. when you're struggling like that, right off the bat, as he did in 2019, there's no joking your way out of it. There's no putting on a a positive face. It was just painful to kind of go through it with him, to go through the demotion to the minor leagues, and then to go through the call-up right when Keston Hero was doing so well. And we all knew that they were playing the service time game with Hira, but then Shaw came back and it was still painful. And you're like, oh, this is just adding to the overall anxiety of everything. It was just so baffling coming off of those two huge years. Um, I know it puzzled the, the Brewers from top to bottom. And um, yeah, it would be huge if he got off to a great, if he had a nice solid spring training and then just got off to a quick couple of weeks in April just think how big that's going to be if that indeed happens. And then you've got plenty of options to, so you don't have to worry about him against left-handed pitching. Um, it, it's a signing that makes all the sense in the world. At the same time, you have to hold your breath a little bit. But based on what the alternatives were, heck, go for it. This is um, a real chance at redemption and a, a chance not only at redemption, but um, – really a successful piece that could add exponentially based on the lack of value they were getting there without him. So yeah. we'll see. And if it means pushing Urias to short, then that's fine as well. I mean, um, Shaw's a really solid defensive third baseman too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you think about his skills and capability at first base where all of a sudden and we'll talk about Daniel Vogelbach because I'm trying to find out where he's going to sneak in other than eighth <laughs> inning pinch hitter. Um, you know, Shaw all of a sudden becomes a real opportunity to be a defensive replacement in late innings for Keston Hira. So at first base. So, um, yeah, good signing there. And this is where I won't veer off into why Rob Manfred hasn't figured out a way to get the DH into the National <laughs> League at this point. <laughs> But no, um, we've never mentioned that. No, never mentioned that. It's the theme of every podcast across America. (laughs) (laughs) Just Uh, think of the good of the game. Um, If he wasn't holding that DH spot up as the the playoff bargaining chip, if he just mm -hmm. had the common sense to say, if he truly is the commissioner for the good of the game, just come up with something, anything that can appease both parties to the point where uh you know let's let's make this happen because the first time and it's not going to be have to be a brewer the first time i see um oh let's pick one of the you know the padres uh starters or something i don't like snell yeah i don't want to see <laughs> snell do a um you know achilles tendon tear on his running down to first base or something like that yeah. you know it just um or jimmy nelson popping his labrum diving jimmy into nelson. first and how many times do you see these guys coming in now throwing 96, 97 out of the pen? Uh, well, it wouldn't be out of the pen. Let's say a starting pitcher, because that's who's going to be facing these, these pitchers in the, in the National League. Because let's face it, we're only going to see pitchers at the plate in innings one through five. You're simply not going to see pitchers bat after the sixth inning, because that's the way the game is now. Mm-hmm. But just one inside pitch crushes a hand, crushes a knuckle. Um, boy, there's going to be an outcry. It's, it's just time. I used to be one of those guys. Oh, yeah, National League ball. would love it. Double switch. I got off that bandwagon about five years ago. I saw the light mm-hmm. uh, even before Nelson got hurt. And, um, you know, it's it's 
So we'll see. But again, with, with Vogelbach, that's an interesting spot because the guy's fun and it's fun having him as a Milwaukee brewer, but boy, oh boy, is he going to be struggling for playing time? Yeah. He, he really kind of moved down the, the roster there. And, you know, the Brewers have said they kind of look at Vogelbach more as a, as a DH and, I like what you mentioned with uh, Shaw also having that experience at first base. I mean, he could also help out Keston here defensively in terms of, you know, teaching him and, and, you know, helping him learn the position because we've all seen Moneyball. We all know playing first base is incredibly hard. Um, So (laughs) it's something that he might need a little bit of help with and and having Shaw around. I mean, he's a really good presence for that. And, you know, as you mentioned, I think he was the best of the options out there i mean you look at the other guys michael franco you know you could maybe get similar production offensively but franco is also a terrible defensive third baseman Uh, jake lamb hasn't been productive really in a couple of years uh you got jed jerko out there who i kind of thought that they were probably going to go with but um and instead jerko's just kind of now left on the free agent market I'm, i'm not sure where those guys are going to go i'm not sure how many other places have third base openings um, so it, it's going to be tough for them to crack a roster and, and, and get a starting job. And um, the, this was really kind of the, the best of the crop after Justin Turner. And, you know, looking over the you know, past you know, week or so, uh, the Justin Turner rumors were really kind of heating up. It was down to between the Brewers and the Dodgers for Turner. Um Dodgers ended up offering a two-year, $34 million uh, contract with an option for a third year. And it, it essentially matched the Brewers' offer from what I've heard from um, the, the reports that, that have been out there. The Brewers had a strong two-year, $34 million contract offer out to Turner. And it took until the Dodgers matched it for that to finally happen for, for the longest time it, it appears the brewers had the better offer on the table but turner was waiting for the dodgers to match and he i, I think everyone figured the dodgers probably would match that offer um that they, they didn't want to lose him and you know with all things even obviously he was going to choose the dodgers of the team that he knew um for set for the last seven years so that was really kind of plan A. It would have been great, but it didn't quite happen. It, uh, you know, it, at some point, it, they always say the player has to want to come to your team that you're mm-hmm. rooting for, you know, as, as they pursue it. So it's a two-way street, and uh, the Dodgers do do what they did. They they, uh, they did what they do. <laughs> say that right. <laughs> but um, – no, it's just now that it, it seemed like it was a possibility, especially when you started hearing Mark Ignacio's name um, associated with being mm-hmm. intrigued by it. And I, I can't blame him. Of course, I, he should have been intrigued by it. Uh, it would have been a fascinating signing. Uh, it would have been a really exciting one. I wouldn't have wanted to see a, you know, a third or even a fourth year for sure. And that's probably mm-hmm. what it would have taken to make it happen like a, like a locked in third year with a fourth year option or something like that. So um, look, it, it, it made sense that uh, it was fun while it lasted. I wasn't one of these people who was overly let down when it didn't happen. And uh, I think now it's just more intriguing. I've, 
this has been, we haven't even touched on, uh, you know, the big four in the, in the, you know, the top of the rotation, the top back end of the bullpen, which is so locked in and solid. It's mm-hmm. just been a, it's so much fun to go through and look at a 40 man roster and the non roster guys and just kind of pick off these little pieces here and there, you know, and, and kind yeah. of bounce off each other. It's a discussion that we, we missed for, for so many months and didn't feel like it was, you no, know, is it going to happen? Is the season going to be delayed? And now we can talk about, is it fair that bringing in all these left-handed hitting outfielders and Tyrone Taylor is going to end up back at triple A again, you know? So um, there's nothing better than, than talking the fringe of the roster discussions too, as much as we love talking about the meat of the order and all that. Um, but yeah, to go through and, and have as much fun as we've had so far and not mention Woodruff, Burns, Hader, Williams. It's like, we just, do we take them for granted now? And, and should we take them for granted going into the season, particularly Williams over 162 games, right guys? That is something, oh my gosh, to look forward to this, this season. I was actually taking a look today at some of the continuity with the Brewers pitching staff, which I um, am looking to kind of put together as an article here sometime soon. Um, of the 14 pitchers who uh, pitched 10 or more games for the Brewers last season, 11 of them are still Brewers. The three that aren't, David Phelps, um, who moved on last year, uh, Claudio, who was non-tendered, and Knable, who was almost non-tendered, uh, but ended up being traded at that you know kind of last-second move. Um, and if you look at those three being the players, Phelps, you know, while he was a Brewer, um, put up some production. Um, but as soon as he left, it was as much of a nightmare as anyone else who pitched out of the Phillies bullpen last season. Um, we've got the big, strong parts of our pitching staff back. And so I think that's why this recent activity by the Brewers was so exciting, Be- not only because of the big names, because it was, you know, Colton Wong out of nowhere and then whoa, we're in on Justin Turner. Like, hold on a second. We now had, as Brewers fans, had some hope that, hey, maybe we are going to have an offense that can match that amazing pitching from last year. Young pitching, for the most part, that I would like to think should be able to be consistently good again this season. And so it, it, it gave us, oh, that rush over the last week or two of hearing those two names was amazing. And I was kind of, I felt the same way about Turner. Like it was, it was definitely fun while it lasted. Um, but I didn't have a ton of hopes up. I, I wasn't putting it a 0% chance. Um, but when it happened, I was like, eh, well, that, that was some good times. Now let's uh, look forward to seeing this offense bounce back. You know how many conversations I've had over 40 plus years of being a Brewer fan and to hear you say amazing young pitching. I have not heard those three words together very often. <laughs> In one sentence. And it's glorious. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. glorious. We've been waiting for this. And as, and you look at, you know, we won't dig into them, you know, guy by guy, but there's, that's the strength of the minor league system as well, especially from the, and and how exciting from the left-hand side. So we get that Mm -hmm. to look forward to. Mm -hmm. It's to have an era like this in Brewer baseball, where the major league pitching and the minor league pitching are both so locked in promising and young and varied in their skill sets it's um really really exciting you know yeah. that's 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 really the hope that we pin the consistent competitive nature of this team year in and year out on is just these these arms which all of a sudden it just blossomed and, yeah. and thank goodness for 
for some really astute drafting and some awesome player development. Cause those guys mm-hmm. aren't first rounders, you know, 11th no. round Woodruff, fourth round Burns, uh, kudos, uh, and, and, you know, just for everything that they've done on the development side on the pitching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was looking at, um, baseball America has like the last like 20 years of like top 30 prospect rankings throughout all the organizations. I was looking through them the other day and the 2001 Brewers top 30 prospects list was led by Ben Sheets and Nick Nugabauer. And <laughs> it, it just like, I think that was the last time there was potential that that was that much. And okay. First of all, this is the second Nick Nugabauer reference sure on this is. podcast. <laughs> so I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago too. Um, but yeah, but like those two were supposed to be like, you know, the one, two punch of the future. And Nugabauer didn't materialize, had injuries uh, that, that derailed it. Yeah. And injuries, excuse ben, me, but they were injuries that were not of his own making. He was he was brutalized um, by yeah. management. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, it was bad. And then Ben Sheets had injuries that were kind of of his own making um, that, that kind of derailed him. But he had a lot of good times in between. Um, but yeah, so like they had like really strong talents um, with, with those guys and starting to build up that farm system in the early 2000s. I actually saw another thing on Baseball America. They're looking at um, how many minor leaguers are in a farm or how many major leaguers are in a farm system at any given time. And they're looking at like, I, I think they said the lowest, like, you know, here, like the most that, that were ever in a minor league system and the fewest major leaguers that were ever in a farm system at any time was the 1999 Milwaukee Brewers farm system. (laughs) I'm like, this explains so much about those teams. (laughs) They had, they had 15 future major leaguers in the 1999 farm system. And I like, that's including that's counting all the guys that had just, just one at bat, just one appearance. And like how many guys, how many of those guys had sustained careers I don't think any of them, to be honest, yeah. but you know, there might've been like one or two, but it was bad. And now <laughs> you got the farm system. The, the farm system currently is rated as bad, but I think there's a lot of like actual like big league talent in there. It's just all super far down in the lower levels. And in recent years, like they've pushed up the guys like Hira and Woodruff and Burns and Williams and Hayter and all these guys together. And, and it, it's really, you've got this core now, and you know a, a lot of fans just kind of look at it where it's like oh like we want to have one of the top rated farm systems continually it's like well also you want to graduate some of that talent and when you do the the system rankings fall back so you know i think they've done a really good job restocking it in 2019 and 2020 i really liked all of their draft picks this last year um but yeah just i, I think they're really uh stocking up in that system yeah, it, like like you said, I mean, if you want to be competitive, especially as a small market team, um, you have to end up moving some of those prospects to do so. Um, and then also, as you said, you know, some of them have to graduate. You know, the Keston heroes of the world have to make their way to the majors eventually, and that's going to knock your system down a peg. Um, and you don't rebuild that from a 29th ranked system to a top 10 system overnight or over two seasons or over three seasons sometimes even. So it's, they seem to be making the right moves draft wise 
which is not something that we've been able to say a whole lot of seasons, even as recently as the last decade. So um, yeah. it's, it's going in the right direction. It feels like it is. And, yeah. but then, you know, as you try to stay competitive, you know, as you move up a little bit, do you end up having to send a prospect or two away to stay competitive in a deadline deal or something like that? So, you know, these the interesting uh, games that front offices get to play in baseball, especially that of a mid to small market team. Yeah. And that, that's something where, God, I think the decade of like 2006 to 2015, those drafts were just garbage, like absolute awful. Um, the, the, like they whiffed on pretty much every single top pick, like al- almost every single one they whiffed on. They either didn't have any sort of sustained career or couldn't make it out of a ball or whatever. So it was rough. Um, but yeah. And kind of circling back to um, Justin Turner, which is where I think we were before this. <laughs> um, after uh, Justin Turner was signed back by the Dodgers, Walker Bueller, of all people, tweets and then deletes uh, a message basically saying, we're we scared, trying to say were, but autocorrect doomed him. But were we scared? The Brewers, ha, 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 ha. And it's really just kind of, it just got under my skin so much. And like, uh, first of all, the offers were the same, right? Like, it's not like, like we offer the same amount of money. It's not like we're trying to be like, hey, we'll give you $2 million on a minor league deal um, with, with a non-roster invite if, if you'll come here. It's like, no, this was a legit competitive offer for a good player, a small market team actually extends itself a little bit and it tries to get a good player tries to win and they don't get him because the team that he played with for the last seven years matched the offer. So net like everyone would go back in that situation, whether it was the Dodgers or whether it was the Royals or the Marlins or whatever, like they've been there for seven years, they'll head back. And it's just so ridiculous that that kind of like little, um being like oh like we're just like they, they just pretend that they're just in a different league it, it, that the brewers just kind of like don't count that they're that they're an afterthought and it just seeing the dodgers fans reaction to it and how they just like loved it and thought it was so savage even though he deleted it like five minutes later and like that was so great like it it's just annoying because it, it's not good for baseball like you may enjoy it because you can push up to a 250 million dollar payroll but you're getting $200 million more than the Brewers and just your TV revenue. So trying to tell everyone's like, oh, well, tell your owner to spend more money. It's like you get you get $200 million more than the Brewers do right off the bat just in terms of TV revenue. Like, like the, we can't just make up that revenue the, the same way. Like, like how are we supposed to get that kind of money? We don't have that kind of market. So it, it's just kind of ridiculous to me. You know, the Walker Bueller and, and Dodgers fans mocking the Brewers for trying to go after their guy. Like, they're not entitled to Justin Turner. Like, like they're not entitled to be the only team to go after him. So, I'll get off my soapbox a little bit here, but <laughs> I just, I felt it needed to be said. Yeah, I was going to yank you down there um, for a second because... <laughs> Just let it roll off your shoulder, you know. Yeah. It would have been more fun, but um, you know, if Tampa Bay had won the World Series last year, I don't. Oh think, yeah. I don't think he puts that tweet out. To be honest with you, right? Mm. They're they're the big and mighty ones, but 
if they had lost last year, that would have been 31 straight years without a World Series for them. And um, I think it's a little different mindset. Um, I know that it upsets some folks, um, some folks that I'm talking to right now. <laughs> but <laughs> it, uh, to me, it was, you know, silly, you know, but I'm not going to. Uh, didn't not going to dignify it with a response. Yeah, it was just maybe it's just comes with. Um, you know, just from a different mindset of uh, seeing so many ebbs and flows, mostly ebbs <laughs> over the years <laughs> with this organization. So, um, yeah, that's that. I think that when you when you win the trophy, even in a 60 game season, hey, good for them. Um, I do know that uh, I will have Chris Taylor nightmares for, <laughs> until the Brewers finally get because because that that Christian Yelich hit in the gap. I'm telling you that if that catch doesn't get made, um, it's a World Series appearance in, oh, in yeah. 2018, no doubt about it. And I don't know how he caught it. I don't know how he did it, but um, it, that that one's going to haunt us for a while, I think. So yeah, hey, I, I know, was there that let, night. Let him the, have his fun. The air in that stadium just left as mm. soon as as soon as that catch was made. Yeah, all all the air was just gone. Um, so a couple other quick things to kind of hit here. Uh, Brett Anderson signed a two and a half million dollar deal to come back to the Brewers. One year deal, no option, just, just straight up one year. Now, similar to what he did last year, ground ball machine. And with Colton Wong now at second base and the improved infield defense, you know, th this is something that really kind of made sense. And Matt uh, wanted to make sure that, that <laughs> he was recognized as, as the first guy to be on this and saying yeah. they should do it. Right. I actually didn't even uh, realize that that uh, paragraph that I had posted on Twitter, um, how specific that was to the situation until I went back to that story and saw that I had put uh, Brett Anderson would be a good idea, but the Brewers should probably wait to sign him, take care of some other things on offense. And then if he's still in the cards, go back and sign. And I was like, wow. That, that one really did play out. Um, I'm glad I'm glad to have him back. I think um, his a lot of the initial numbers from last year look worse than they were. Um, he kept us in games in just about every start. Um, I know one of those games uh, was the one where Keston Hira had two errors in the same game, and Keston Hira is not playing that position anymore. So, like you said, I mean, uh, improved defense could actually uh, help him out, and I think just one of the things we wanted to get out of this offseason, if we could, was uh, another veteran presence in the back end of the rotation. And it just so happens it's out of a familiar face. So I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah um, love it in terms of just the depth, the left-handedness, the craftiness, a uh, fun Twitter personality. Mm -hmm. So that adds to the, to the mix there. Um, we haven't even mentioned Freddie Peralta during this chat. There's, there's so many stories we can, you know, he, they posted a, a workout video of him. He looks absolutely ripped. I hope it doesn't affect mm -hmm. his, uh, his work right now, but um, six man rotation piggybacks, you know, pairing up Anderson and Peralta every single time out. Uh, what are they going to do? It's, it's so many storylines to be told. Uh, it's going to be fun because the options are, really are there you know it's no yeah. fun talking about piggybacking and six-man rotations if you're just trying to pick up the scraps to make it happen this organization as it stands right now can 
can really make their mark and state the way they want to. They have so many options in the way they manipulate this staff. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. good options. They're good, solid options. We don't have to roll And they got eyes. a good guy to manipulate it too and create counsel. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, it just, it's going to be fascinating from so many aspects. And that's certainly one of them. And, and Anderson adds to the mix. And good to you, Matt, for making a, pointing that out <laughs> <Yeah>. in advance. <laughs> Just glad I'm glad we have him. Like you said, like just just a good guy. It just a his sarcastic sense of humor is just like right up my alley too. So that's I think that part of why I was hoping he'd come back is yeah. like I just did, did I you like see the guy. his uh, his Twitter bio? He changed his Twitter bio <laughs> after the news broke. Said you know I throw baseballs for the Brewers if I pass my physical. So. <laughs> I think it's great. And yeah, it's that kind of sense of humor from him. Um, And, you know, some fans may like to point out that Brett Anderson passing his physical may actually be a a bit of a concern, but, you know, I think he'll certainly be fine to at least start off and, you know, injuries may rise throughout the season um, as as always kind of happens, but um, yeah. And and you were kind of right on it there with, uh, with Anderson, Matt and, you know, it reminds me of some, I, I think it was 2019. I said in like my off season preview of like, you know, who they should like sign, like go after him. Like they should try to bring back Mike Moustakis. Like, you know, they're probably not going to do it right away. He's going to be looking for a multi-year deal, but if it gets closer to spring training and he's not signed, bring him back on like a one year, $10 million deal and just kind of, you know, bring him back. And then sure enough, they get around to spring training. $10 million deal. And I'm just like, how did this happen? Where is my crystal ball? I've, I've misplaced it. So yeah, it's, it's crazy how it happens sometimes. So we, yeah, we got I didn't the, get terms and conditions on mine. So yeah, props we, for that. we got the brain trust right here. <laughs> so yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, as you mentioned, Jim, but only so much so we can fit um, in an hour long or so podcast. So just kind of one final thing I, I want to hit here. Who do we think is the non who are the non roster invitees with the best chances to make the big league roster? Jim, I'll start with you. OK, we can figure this out. Um <laughs> So let's start with the fact that uh, it won't be a pitcher. I'm not sure if Jordan Zimmerman, you know, Brett Anderson's spot is not going to help in terms of uh, uh, squeezing him in and in somebody who's never been a reliever before. So that could be tough. Just pulling up the list here real quick. I, I'm, I apologize real quick. I've got it right here in front of me, but um yeah, on the pitching side, I, I just don't see it happening. It's it might not be as well. Travis Shaw is obviously the obvious answer, mm-hmm. okay, because he's yeah. on roster at this time. It's going to be tough otherwise. Uh, I just don't see it happening from the pitcher side. I think uh, there are guys that we'll see during the course of the year. I think somehow we'll still see a Jace Peterson appearance at some point you know but he'll be toiling in nashville most of the year um i guess i don't know a lot about this zach green oh yeah um, yeah minor league deal yeah um, 
right? Spent, but, spent you know, I think he was with San Francisco last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, got quite a few at-bats, actually. So, But it's just a matter of, barring injuries, I just don't see the opportunities there necessarily for um, – anybody but Shaw at this point. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Shaw and a, and a big zero otherwise, but I think that there'll be contributors during the season, but um, not necessarily on the opening day roster. All right, Matt, you got one or you do you still I need some time to think? No, I think if anything, I just, I had to verify one thing real quick. Um, one of the ones that I was hoping would have a chance at making it that I've written about a couple of times, times is Quentin Torres Costa. I think uh, he still has to prove himself. Um, a little bit that he is officially healthy. And one of the main reasons I thought he might have a chance at making the roster is because he's a lefty. Um, And right now the only sure left-handed reliever to make that roster is Josh Hader with Alex Claudio no longer there. Well, also Suter. And Suter. Yes. I'm sorry. Suter. Um, For whatever reason in my head, I still have him like halfway as a starter, halfway as a reliever. I don't know. (laughs) I never commit with him. Um, but I think on that same logic, Blaine Hardy may actually be the one who's got a little bit better chance just because he has more of that major league pedigree. Um, not great in 2019, um, but some decent numbers in some seasons before that. Um, I think if he had a strong showing, he's one of those guys that could maybe he sneak his way onto the back end of that roster, especially if a player like Ray Black still showed some control issues and the Brewers decided they want to go in a different direction there um, since he has no minor league options, you know, you know, those types of things. I think he could be uh, a sleeper to make the roster Hardy would. Yeah. My, my pick for this um, is someone that we haven't talked about um, yet in this, in this episode, but he, he's a minor league deal, non-roster invite guy, Brad Boxberger. Um, mm-hmm. He's got plenty of years of experience in, in a big league bullpen, had some, uh, pretty good stats in 2020 with the Marlins. Um, so he's someone that I could really kind of see emerging as a veteran presence for that bullpen because that bullpen is pretty young. The, the most experienced guy out there is Brent Suter, followed by Josh Hader in terms of big league experience. So it's a very young group. Um, and having a guy like Brad Boxberger out there who has closing experience, who's been around the league for a while, uh, he's someone that I really earn an opportunity and be a really important piece in that bullpen. Yeah. I like actually that, you know, I'm, I'm still going to stick with my nobody but Shaw pick. However, I do like both Hardy and Boxberg. Your choices were really solid. All right. I, I think that should be a, I think that's a good place to end off for this week's episode. Jim Goulart, Mas Haas of brewerfan.net. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Uh, and joining us on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Guys, this was a blast. You know, I, it's been a while since um, it, it's always fun to talk overall issues in baseball, but when you can just like throw the roster in front of you and start picking apart the different aspects of it, this was it's just really fun to have a, a play GM for a few minutes, you know, for an hour. <laughs> and and, and just, what would we do? What What's uh, what's the Brewer Brain Trust going to do? It's going to be um going to be fun and we can analyze each little step along the way you guys do a lot of nice work um thank you on the site keep Thanks. the podcast rolling and i'll be listening thank you and linking too <laughs> absolutely we yes. we certainly appreciate, we appreciate it yeah 
So thank you very much, uh, Jim Goulart. That'll do it for us this week on the Cold Brew Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe. And leave a rating and a review if you feel so inclined, if you enjoyed listening to the Cold Brew Podcast. So uh, that would really help us out. So for Jim Goulart, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week on the Cold Brew Podcast.